ASI. This is episode 31 of the podcast, season four. Closing season four. We're getting close to the season finale. Will there be explosions? Probably not. Uh, But today I'm interviewing Seth Taylor, who wrote a book called Feels Like Redemption, a book that was published by Triple X Church. Uh, It's my honor to have him on as a guest. Uh, I cut the show up into like three pieces. So uh, on the other end of this bumper by the band My Chemical Romance, we will start the uh, discussion, the conversation. Let's get this thing started. Head first for Halos. This is the bumper. Here we go. Taylor, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, man. We've got to chat a little bit uh, before, and we're starting to go, hey, we got to capture some of this stuff. <laughs> we're <laughs> losing some good material. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, you wrote a book, but I'm more interested in you than I am the book, so you're the dude that gave birth to this. Um, I've listened to most of it. I haven't finished it. Um, it's creating a lot of buzz. I hear a lot of people talking about you there's lately. A, there's a buzz. That's right. So yeah. I'm get, trying to get used to that part. I don't, it's been weird. I got recognized the other day. I've never had that before. Oh, really? It's, it's a surreal moment. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. That, that's cool. Got, got and you voiced your own uh, the audio version. Yeah. I'm listening to the audio version, yeah. and uh, and you've welcomed me into your home. So we're here at your home drinking well, coffee. Palatial estate. That's, <laughs> that's right. And there's uh, the blaze. Over yeah, here, Blaise. if you hear a little noise in the background, that's Blaze. He's uh, he's hanging around, yeah. walking around here, which is is totally cool. Love Blaze. Yeah. I've got four dogs. Four dogs. I have three dogs. Our daughter's living on us for a little while, so her dog's there too. So nice. technically, we he's, have. He's the firstborn. He's the dog child. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, um, Seth, uh, listening to your book, you know, you're you're thinking out of the box. I dig that about you. Um, this is different. This is different material than a lot of Christians are going to be used to. One of the things that's, that's kind of made me nervous about approaching sexual addiction, recovery, or sexual compulsion, yeah. or whatever the new buzzword is, right, right. lately, has yeah. been uh, is skinning sort of Christian mainstream. You know, you call it the purity movement or whatever you want to call it, but it's, it's no longer like it was 10 years ago when I started this podcast. Right, right. Um, I was the, yeah. the voice in the wilderness, you know, the right. the pirate Christian guy talking about your our sex parts. Right. Back when everyone was going, why is he talking about this? Because we need to talk. Somebody was saying, we need to talk about this, but nobody yeah. actually wanted to talk about it yet. Exactly. Craig was talking about it. Yeah. Craig Gross. Right. Yeah. Craig, Craig started, what, for 13 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Years yeah. So, um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm into the book. Tell me... Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself, um, your own process in, in, yeah. in giving birth to this thing. Okay. You need my testimony? 
Can we use that word? What do you use the Christian Christianese? I asked a kid about that one time. We were talking about it. I go, well, why don't you tell me about a story? And he goes, you, mean, you want to hear my testimony? I go, yes, I do. <laughs> so I want to hear your testimony. If you could tell. It's old school. That he's right. No, um, no I, I, I was classic. and I was a classic white Christian porn addict evangelical guy um, that was just... I don't know. I don't know why... I went the route I went because I did the whole thing. I read the Every Man's Battle and I did the, the small groups and I got the software and I did all that kind of stuff and you know and had the struggles with the marriage because of it and right. all the kind of classic stuff that probably a lot of your listeners can relate to. How how uh, old were you when you got married? Twenty seven. Wow. And it didn't start. I didn't, actually my addiction didn't start till I was twenty seven. Mm. Um, when I got married, something I don't know what it, I still don't understand what it was, but it's something about getting married. You know, a lot of people be like, "Oh, that's supposed to help you." No. It, it actually made it worse. I think it was something about the intimacy element of it. Wow. I've got, I mean, I could I could go on and on what I think about that, but my wife would probably rather die. <laughs> that's not, that's but, good. Um, but something triggered something, and I, I started down the road of addiction. I did about seven years. And I was never the, I was never the, I was the compulsive, just, you know, plug it into my arm and just kind of let it keep coming. And But I never did that. I never paid for it. I never went in the clubs. I never went and saw prostitutes. I like, never did that. But all the... But it was still, but it doesn't matter, right? It, right. Suffering is suffering. And it was one of those things where that constant, there was so much guilt and there was so much shame and there was so much that cycle of I just can't do this. But then at the same time, I started, I, I started quickly kind of becoming critical of the way it was being dealt with because I was just going, this isn't, I mean, it doesn't seem to help us. I'd show up in my small group. We'd confess our sins. The one guy who was sober for six months fell off his horse. Crap, we're all, you know, and it's just, we right. are depressed because, like, if he can't do it, what are they? <laughs> right, our fearless leader. <laughs> I know, there he goes. And after a while, you start to realize, like, I almost don't want to be sober because I come in and tell everybody I've been, I've been, it's been three weeks. They're like, you could do this, man. And right. then I feel all this pressure. Get like, that ah. group thing, yeah. thing going on. Oh, yeah, right? it's fascinating. Yeah. And, I, and I just went, after a while, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And, I didn't know what I was going to do, to be honest with you, because my brother led me. Like, my brother lives up in Anchorage, Alaska. We tell the story in the book a little bit. Right. Um, but my brother was up there, and uh, it's a long, crazy story that I'll save you some of the details, but, you know, he just... because yeah, uh, before you get into that, I, you, yeah. one of the things that I found fascinating about your book is, is how you define addiction. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I like, I read a... a the Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six, a bass player of Motley Crue. And one of the ways, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how he defines certain words. And the way he defined addiction was that thing that you can totally stop doing anytime you want, as long as it's Tuesday <laughs> or possibly next yeah, Thursday. Right, right. right? right. But in, in your, you talk about um, uh, defining addiction as a crisis of belief. Or an interruption in consciousness, right? Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. I, I'm trying to remember at what point I really like say this is what I think it is, but it, I call it unconscious suffering. I know, right. but the thing that you know the problem is is that I think addiction itself is this type of unconsciousness. I talk a lot about this idea of what we're conscious of or what we're not unconscious, what we're not conscious of, what right. we see and don't see versus what we think or don't think or believe or don't believe. It's it, it should be painfully obvious, and I cannot emphasize this enough. That at this point in the in the way the Christian church is, is relating to this experience, it should be painfully obvious that our beliefs have no power. Because we believe that God can save us, heal us, change us, transform us. But the, the, the problem is not getting better. Right. It's getting worse, right? It is. It's getting worse. 70% of the guys in the Christian church are at least mildly addicted to porn. 50% of the pastors, 40% of the women. It's not getting better. And the reason is, is because... 
it's a lot of stuff, but I, I think ultimately it can be kind of brought down to this idea that porn is not the problem. And if we keep fighting it, and we keep, the war metaphor is a big thing. We keep going to battle with this. Go to battle with your sex drive. Go to battle with, with any, with this entire sexualized industry. Right. Go to, we'll go to battle with anything that would help, that would make me fall off this horse. Go to battle with the porn industry. All of these things which we can't beat. You know what I mean? Porn right. industry exists because we want it there. That's right. Right? Yeah. We demand it's there, so it's there. Yeah. Right? There's not like some mafia, porn mafia out right, there, right. like shaking people down. Exactly. You know, they're all going. <laughs> Give us your money. They're all. They're actually probably. They're all trying to solve problems. We can't get our product to these customers fast enough. Right. right. And, I mean, that's how the internet started. Right. It was because the porn industry had so much demand. Exactly. A big reason we have Netflix and, yeah. and stuff like that today. From what I've heard, yeah. technologically and historically, it. is because of the porn sure. industry. Everything is driven by the porn industry, and it's because. Is a delivery system, for right? Them, you know, and ultimately, porn isn't the problem; it's the medication for the problem. And I remember when I had that slight paradigm switch. My brother kind of called him one day. He goes, "Hey, hey," because he was kicking it really fast, and he through this kind of therapeutic work that we talk about. And he's just like, "It's really simple, bro. It's not the problem; it's medication for the problem." Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, "So what do you medicate?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." And he goes, "Well, that's what you got to find out." Well, how do I do that? And so what he led me into is like, well, it turns out, and I remember him saying it, we were like little kids in a candy shop. He's like, well, it turns out our spirit is real <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it's meant to heal us and show us it can actually do that. And because, because you start to realize after a while that you believe you have a spirit, but you don't really believe right. you have a spirit. Right, you, know, right. you believe God will provide for you. But when you have money issues, all you feel is anxiety. When you, you know, there's this, always this tension between what we believe and then what we actually believe. Right. You know what I mean? And that God tension. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I said it the other day, um, I was giving a talk, I was giving a talk and I was talking about the, these different tensions that exist. You know, I, I wrote up on the board, I was talking about this text conversation that me and my siblings had because my sister had gone through some stuff and she was getting, she was feeling like she was in danger about some stuff. And my older sister says to her, you know, God will protect you, sis, God will protect you. Right. But get a taser. Right. Right? Right. And, and I was sitting there going, man, that creates that dialectic tension. We're going, so here's what you believe. God will protect you. Here's what you actually believe. Get a taser. Right. Right? Here, You know, God will provide for you. That's what you believe. You know, get an effing job. Right? That's what you actually believe. Right. right? And there's this thing. And when it came to the porn industry, there, or the, the struggle with porn addiction, there was this idea that I am good. I, my desires are holy. I'm a piece of crap that deserves hell. You know what I mean? And we have this tension that exists between that. And the porn industry is a way of medicating that tension. And I think that tension exists, and if we just get into the psychology of it, the medication, the tension exists, I think, in repressed energy in the body. And the right. repressed emotions, suppressed. It's very part, much part of the human condition to suppress and repress emotion. Right. Even when we were little kids, I got two toddlers, man. My little girl, just a couple minutes before he got here, was just losing her mind on the floor. <laughs> right. Because, what was it? She wanted a cookie or something? It was like, <laughs> right. I'm just sitting there watching her. And, she, and it's real. Yeah. And it's just a tornado. I need, I have to have the cookie. And eventually you go, hey, that's enough. Right. And you watch her kind of, and kind of push that down inside of her body. Yeah. And, and if you, when we do that. Pull the reins on the yeah. freaking steed or whatever. Or there's an energy like. trying to escape her body. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we make it go down and say, hey, you can't do that. It's like when somebody stuffs grief, right? Uh-huh. You know, they just bottle it up. We always don't bottle it up. You can't bottle it up. When we do, it's my brother says it like this. He says, you know, when we do, where does it go? Right, right. And, and does it stay? And if it does stay, how does it show up later on? Right. So that's why people get in their 20s and their 30s. 
and they start experiencing anxiety and stress and depression, midlife crisis, quote unquote. Right. That whole thing, which is such a huge part of this porn addiction thing, these these church groups are just absolutely inundated by guys going through this stuff, uh-huh. where there's depression and anxiety coupled with this, and it's just they're just medicating with this thing. But because of the way the church has historically thought about or understood our sexuality in such a horrible way. Labeling those desires as such evil things, it just has suppressed this desire, and it's just this time bomb waiting to go off. Yeah, and and the shame is part feeding it. Absolutely, because it's like an engine. You know, you got the spark, you got the air, and then the shame is kind of just keeping the whole thing running. Right, it just you know, the shame is like it's it's that that emotional thing that pops up, like your little girl here freaking out, going ah, and then then the shame pops up, and that's an energy that we release, you know, or feel. And then if we do it again, we don't even consciously see it, do we, Seth? It just kind of comes back around like a piston. Because if the energy is still in the body, it's still going to demand medication. Right. So controlling it. One of the things I talk about, can I talk about the book? Are you okay with that? Oh, no, that's great. So one of the the things I talk about in the book was I was using this Latin phrase that Willie Jennings, he's a uh, theologian, he, he writes about. This idea of ordo salutis, uh-huh. order of salvation. You were Calvinist, right? You probably, I don't know, if you yeah. know the Calvinist order of salutis. Order, order yeah, yeah. salutis. I, 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 I wouldn't consider myself a Calvinist. I think I was, I was entertained by all sorts of different theological ways of thinking philosophically right. okay. yeah. in, in my, yeah. you know, theological developmental state. Right. Right. But yeah, dude, don't worry about the dog or your phone. I, I like yeah. this. I dig this. It's more like real life. This yeah. podcast is not studio uh, set. Yeah. I produce this thing sort of like uh, I, I'm... I'm professionally unprofessional. I like that. That's good. Man. That's <laughs> right. super good. So, now, so, yeah. The idea of order salutis was the idea that, um, traditionally speaking, order of salvation just meant that um, here's how you are saved. So right. Calvin is like, there's sanctification, there's redemption. There's a yeah, there's a system. Yeah, there's a system to it. And and or, but the way he, that Will Jennings uses it, he's talking about it's a way of a way of rescuing you from your unconscious pain. Meaning, like for all of us in this experience of porn addiction... The church, as opposed to confront the idea that we don't actually believe God is real, and we right. don't actually believe there's any real power, because what we're doing instead is going, if you get your software, and you get your groups, and you get your books, and you get your you get your system, and you get your confession, and you get your once-a-week church, you get your prayer, here's your system. Right. This is your salvation. Slap a label on it that says freedom. And sobriety is, is very much like this for a lot of people. The idea of sobriety, once I'm sober, we'll call that freedom. We'll label it as freedom. We'll step away from it and say, isn't God good? Right. And all we did was trade one prison for another. And it's a better prison. It is. It's more socially acceptable. It's more life-giving. You're probably going to be able to... I mean, but it's like if you took... It's like when Nelson Mandela left prison and then went to house arrest. You know what I mean? And he's going... And, and I'm sure he liked it better, you know? Right. It smelled better. He had a view. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he still couldn't leave. Uh-huh. And, and, and after a while, you got to go, that's not freedom. No. And that's what the thing was for me. I was like, this isn't freedom. You know, my brother had that experience. I remember he was six months sober. He's like, I don't feel free. And ultimately, it became this rescue. We're going, maybe it's a felt experience. Maybe freedom is something you feel. Right. That's the title of the book. Right, right. You know, it feels like redemption. feels like redemption. Yeah. It has to be a felt experience. And the church is notoriously suppressing emotion. It's always been yeah. saying you can't trust your feelings. I know people, you know, a lot of orthodoxy is going to, going to try to critique this book in a way of saying you can't trust your feelings. Right. Trust the scripture. Trust the Bible. And I'm going, we've been doing that. Right. And it's not working. And we're yeah. cutting ourselves off from our humanity still. That part of us that feels yeah. like Jesus felt. Yeah. Right? Jesus got caught up in that river of emotion. 
Yeah. I call it that's that's thread through all of us. Yeah. That's yeah. his humanity, but we try to rob Jesus of his humanity. Right. right. Let me. I wanted to ask you some kind of uh, developmental sort of uh, developed theological questions. <laughs> so on the website ASI two four seven dot org, mm-hmm. which is the the website for this podcast, mm-hmm. I have uh, I encourage listeners to fill out surveys, and one of them is is dealing with what you're talking about right now. So I'm trying to. Maybe get inside the listener's head a little bit, yeah. and and have them ask some some deeper questions about their own faith. Sure. And, yeah. and the name of the uh, the name of the the survey, and this is the most popular survey on the website, by the way. Yeah. It's called "God and Me: Life Giving Relationship or Toxic Religion." Okay, yeah. so uh, that's a lot. <laughs> so loaded, <laughs> right? It's a little loaded, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's, that's what another thing I liked about what you said in your book is that yeah. you and I have a sort of angst. Almost with the whole American evangelical machine, yeah. so to speak, right? Yeah, like we've seen it, we grew up in it to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I was inundated. I mean, I was. Yeah. yeah. And mine was a little more storefront Pentecostal kind of thing, but yeah, no, I'm, yeah, the machine is. Yeah. It's a problem. It's, it is a problem. Yeah. I had to hide who I was in order to maybe if I, if I take this part of my life and, and clean it up. Yeah. Then maybe I'll be accepted in this group, and, sure. and then I saw how that was. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. so the first question is, um, what was your uh, religious affiliation in the beginning? Uh, the home you grew up in, your childhood. Yeah. Um, what what best describes your kind of theological history, like Baptist or? Uh, well, mine was uh, we were in a church, a very small little, like I said, storefront Pentecostal church that was part of a small fellowship of churches called Bethel up here. Not the big Bethel down in California. Okay, so they were like kind of a plant. Sort yeah, of that. and it still exists. It's called Bible Fellowship. It still exists. It's still moving around from storefront to storefront, you know, right. strip malls and such. And, and we just, it was a small community that my, my parents had grown up in, or my mother had. And, uh, and we were just a part of that. And it was very toxic. And it was very repressed. And it was um, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Right. Theologically, it was one of those things where... If you were educated, you were, you were kind of subtly looked down upon. If you're wealthy, you were kind of subtly looked down upon. Um, there was this. It was. I don't know. It's very primitive, to be honest with you. Right. And that's how I was raised. But being poor I, is more holy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. That was a huge thing. No I came from being rich is more holy. <laughs> that was yeah. one of my. It depends. I went through a few of them, but that was one of them. The kind of prosperity right. Casey Tree. Yeah. Sort of. I see. Now that's the thing. I was around. I remember actually after that. When I started going to high school, a lot of my friends were from Christian faith. Oh, right. And I remember I was just judgmental as all get out, man. I'd go to there and go, this is evil. God doesn't want you to be rich. You know? <laughs> right. And, and, that, and we were just, but I didn't realize what I really believe is God wants you to be poor. I think I had, I don't know. But it was like that. That was my theological kind of, kind of mainframe, you know? Right. The, lots of fear of hell. Hell was a very, very, very present part of my childhood. I don't think my mom... And dad re- even realized how much a part of it it was because I don't think they were trying to hand that to me. But when you talk to a child about heaven a lot, right? You know, if you do this, you go to heaven. Right? If you think this and believe this and say this prayer, you go to heaven. That's why five year olds like you know, accept Jesus like twelve times. You know, because they're like, did I do it right? Did I yeah. get it right? Because there's this shadow. You yeah. feel the shadow behind you, and you just and kids feel that shadow all the time. You hand them a, a spirituality that requires them to walk through a certain gate, and they will be scared shitless that they're not going to get through that gate. Yeah, you know. And part of that shadow, yeah. looking back, and, and I, I feel you because I grew up like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I got saved like three times with the whole altar call, yeah, the tears, too. and everything. Is it going to stick this time? Right? It's exactly how it feels. <laughs> that is how it feels. <laughs> yeah, like oh. 
And you know, not not more than fifteen minutes out down the road, I'm like checking out some chick that's wearing yeah. spandex or right. or whatever. Yeah. Well, there we go. And if you had a nice belief system where you could judge her instead. So it's oh, like, nice. Yeah. That, it's her fault. That evil chick yeah. with spandex on. Go on the back. Go on the back. So was there any like Sunday school or anything like that? Did they? Uh... Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bible trivia and the whole nine yards. Man. Oh wow, I was a Bible whiz. Right. Yeah, I was a Bible whiz, but yeah, no, we just it was. But as very... you get like little badges and stuff. Yeah, some of that kind of stuff. We'd have a lot of contests and stuff like that. Right. I, mean, I can literally still remember some of my greatest Bible trivia vict- victories. I remember, you know, I was rocking it, man. Right. I remember that. You know, and, yeah. and you mentioned some of that in your book as well. Like when you actually read the Bible. Yeah. You see things like Jesus said, you know, <laughs> just yeah. against yeah. the Apostle Paul talking about, yeah. you know, yeah. first is the last. Yeah. yeah. Well, my life experience has radically shifted the way I read the Bible. And it's, the Bible is still very important to me. I mean, it's, right. it's very, very important to me. But it's one of those things where what I'm finding is that my life experience is informing that. And I don't know why I ever thought it worked out anything other than that. People say, you have to go according to Scripture. I'm going, nobody believes that. You might believe it, but then your body believes something different. Right. Because there's this anxiety that's accompanying the way we're living. Right. Christians are some of the most anxiety-ridden people I've ever I've ever met. Right. Anxiety, depression, and and the ones that claim the most certainty are the ones that are just breath away from shooting themselves in the head. And so we've got this thing where we're going, man, this can't be how it functions. Right. This can't. There's nothing remotely spiritual about it. Jesus was talking about a peace that passes understanding. He was talking about a life more abundantly. Right. He was talking we were, he releasing was, burdens. Yeah. He you're was saying, too burdened. If you're born of the spirit. We're talking about the fruits of the spirit. Right. Peace, joy. You, he says, he said, he told Nicodemus, you will see the effects. You don't, the wind blows. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. Right. But he says, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. Right. The, you don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind, which means life experience, the experience of these things is what makes them true. You have right. to feel it. You see love. You know it when you've been loved. People know when they're being loved. That's why these arguments around, you know, love the sinner and hate the sin is ridiculous. If that person doesn't feel loved, they're not being loved. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's but right. But we have to be able to validate experience as a measure for truth. We have to. All right. You know? And I hold the scriptures in that space where I'm, where I'm not looking for the scriptures to tell me what is right and wrong. I'm going, I know what's right or wrong. I can feel it. Right. You know what I mean? And then I let that kind of, what I, what I want is the Bible to be something that draws me forward, always calling me to a deeper place, always calling me, my, my thoughts and my systems and, and those things in, into question in some way. Right. Jesus works that way for me now. Jesus, reading Christ is just one of those, um, whatever it is I'm experiencing, it's not what he was talking about. Right. <laughs> he said, live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, he said, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open, pass, peace to pass his understanding. I'm like, it's a fascinating thing if you just sit and go, does my peace in, pass my understanding? And peace is felt. Right. There's no way around it. It's felt. Yeah. It's not It's a fruit a of the spirit. Yeah. And if it doesn't pass your understanding where you have to live it in your brain, yeah, I have peace. I have peace. I have peace. You're trying to convince yourself of that. Right. Even though your body's going, yeah. no, we don't. It's kind of like I'm <laughs> humble, right? Right. The, the moment you say you're humble, you're, you're not no humble anymore. Humble. I have right. peace. Yeah. You know? And so Zach and I were peace, talking about man. this. When he was just like, he was talking about how he got a lot of input that he was angry. Right. And his response would be like, fuck you, man. I'm not angry. <laughs> You know? yeah, exactly. It's like uh, it's very true. Yeah. So, were your parents both on the same page growing up? That's question seven in the little survey here. Were they both? Was your dad more kind of gung ho, or your mom kind of toe along, or which? Which were they both on the same page? I guess that's my question. That's a tough one for me because you know my father died when we were, when I was twelve. 
Oh wow! So he was a we were missionaries. That's right. Yeah, you tell that story and, in the book. Man, that's pretty. It's, it's, so to say they're on the same page, I don't know because the thing is, my my child. You were old enough to remember. Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. And and I don't. And honestly, my my upbringing wasn't one. When I say I was raised a certain way, I was kind of raised by my church. My parents loved me, and they were good people, but they were very unconscious people religiously. And my dad was a good man. I remember the. Well, unpack that unconscious. Like, what do you oh. mean by that? Like. They believe with everything. They were just kind of going through the motions or... Well, it's like a, if we think about it, every single human being on the planet operates from a certain level of consciousness and they filter all their life experiences through that. Right. So if we can look at a, Osama bin Laden, for instance, believed with every fiber of his being that he was doing God's will, that what he was doing was a holy and right. great thing. Yeah. And if we just sit with that and go, oh, wait a minute, he really did. Oh, yeah. He believed that he would be rewarded in heaven and that this was his work. And we can all back there and go, he was evil. He didn't know that. Right. So he was working. But did he feel it? Right. That's, so that's the question. Did he have some dissonance inside? And you wonder. Because yeah, there's yeah. people that go, that do things at that level where you, they're, they're so disconnected from themselves. That's right. what it takes. I've done it. things at that level. Right. And, 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 I, when, and when I was an addict, I, it was an, a constant experience of being disconnected. To do the things I would do was to, a disconnect from my own body. Right. And disconnect from my own soul. You know, the psychological term is dissociation, right? Yeah. Dissociate, and and guys like that can dissociate, but their but their their belief systems actually act like kind of a concrete structure around them to keep them saying, "I'm okay, I'm okay." Ultimately, right. Osama bin Laden was doing what he felt was necessary to save his own butt, right? To be, right. to please the god that is going to kill him if he doesn't do what's right. Right, right. And that existed at a very unconscious level. It drives us. It drives yeah. our behaviors. So we started believing it, and somewhere along the way, a lot of these guys, the people that walked into the theater, the concert, and all this stuff that happened in Paris, and those people believe that shit. Absolutely. They believe everything they have. That's why it's not... And and all we end up doing is judging them, which isn't helpful. So so when we get to the point where we go, it's unconsciousness. I don't even use the word evil anymore. I realize evil exists. Evil exists as the fruit of of a deep unconsciousness, a deep disconnect from our own spirit, our own soul. Because I think ultimately... But evil is not how we were created. No. No. Yeah. And I don't believe we are inherently evil. I don't believe in, in total depravity. I believe in the Imago Dei. I believe that at the core, we right. are the image of God. And right. that sin, this thing we call sin, is this kind of weed system that moves through that. This kind of, I don't know, this experience of being being wrapped up in just... You know, I don't know. It, it's almost an energy that just penetrates us. Right. But, but ultimately, we have this soul and this spirit that is seeking to reconnect. To right. us through the creator. Very so, true. That's uh, part of what I was curious about your story, too. Yeah. Because I'm still a, a believer in, in total depravity mm. to a certain degree. Mm. My, my friend, uh, Paul Young, is a guy I've been able to rub shoulders with. He wrote sure. the book The Shack. Him, yeah. He's yeah. No, I read a great, The Shack. Yeah, book, yeah. Great thinker. And so that's something that we brush up against each other with every so sure, often sure. Yeah. Is, is that uh, the paradigm of are we totally depraved? I guess. Sure. And here's how I see it, Seth, and, and maybe you could see it. We'll interact on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, our flesh, our, I, I think our flesh is is animal, you know? I do. I think there's something in us that's animal. Mm. You know, I have friends who are, and I don't know, like, I'm. Are you? do you believe in, you know, God just created the world in six days or whatever? Like, I, I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a, I don't, I don't, do I believe in like an atheist system of, Evolution that was reason where we're all here. You know, I I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think faith is faith. Yeah. But I think that there really is an animal part of us yeah. that you like. I'm not going to make. Um, I'm not going to have a hard discussion with my wife when I haven't had a lot of sleep, for example, sure. 
Or if I'm hungry, hangry, like yeah, right, 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 right yeah. like our flesh gets hangry. Right. <laughs> so, there's one, that yeah. animal thing in me mm-hmm. that's just fucking evil if I haven't had a sandwich after. Mm-hmm. And there are some chemicals in, involved in that, and sure. we could bring addiction into that conversation sure. yeah. as well. But but you see what I'm saying there, right? Is, is is that would you define that as total depravity, or is that just? I would say that's a. Certain, is that you know you know Blaze would Blaze is all on that. <laughs> <laughs> places, I would, I would places into the animal total depravity theological system. He knows. Oh man, I would I would actually have a different reading of that. Okay, because but this is where I think psychology is really helpful, and I think quantum right. physics is really helpful here too. Right, because we, we start getting into the core matter of all that is right. Yeah. But guys, like I don't know if you've ever read any Carl Jung at all. Like mm. you, so these guys, Sigmund Freud, and, and on up and, and Jung, these guys were talking about the idea of ego, right, and spirit. Right. And so, you know, we see Paul talking about the flesh, right? And what this is, and they're kind of defining this thing. I think that there is a part of us that there's a part of us as human beings that is, that is, my, my, I teach my old soccer players, it's your caveman. It's a part of you that only wants to survive. It's, it's, it is core function. Right. Is to help you survive. It is energy. And, yeah. And it, <laughs> what it, well, I think it feeds, I think it's actually a part of our inherent spiritual makeup, but I think it feeds on repressed energy. The more we have it in our body, the louder and more powerful it is because it's ultimately trying to protect your family to feel that stuff. Right. If we have trauma and we've suppressed that trauma because it was too painful to feel, Right, the ego comes in here and goes, "Okay, it's my job to protect you from feeling that." Just right, like right. so, this is why you see people operate on survival level so much. I mean, I got, I got friends with millions of dollars, and they act like there's never going to be enough. They're just surviving, right? And you go, "Whoa, what's that like?" You know what I mean? And so, what, what I see, what you're saying is, and the depravity, the idea of the flesh. Yeah, I see it as ego. I see ego functioning. Mm. I think everything serves ego or spirit. Spirit's where the wisdom is. It's where the transformation is. It's where the power is. It's where the peace is. It's where the joy. So the fruits of the spirit is. You see creativity. You see all this kind of stuff. When the ego is in charge, you see destruction. Right. right? And so addiction becomes, I think, something where someone is taking. Like it's a lot easier to, to pop some pills and look at some porn than it is to feel that. Right, because it just hurts too much, and my ego just goes, "I got this. We got this. It's yeah, like a we got this. You don't gotta feel. You don't gotta yeah. feel that. Yeah, the Lord, you, you that's seen, a dark place. You seen Lord of the Rings? There. You seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Love Remember the, the conversation Gollum has with himself? Yeah, yeah. You, we survive because of me. Where would you be without me? Yeah. Right? And then the, the uh, red lizard in the C.S. Lewis story in the Great Divorce. Yes, is another one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we and we've always kind of seen it in classical Christian terminology as this kind of devil on our shoulder and the angel on yeah, our shoulder. Yeah, I got to kill the red lizard. Right. And the whole thing is ego. Like what Jung talked about is ego is that part of us that holds the pain, holds the suffering, holds this thing, holds us in a certain space in consciousness to allow us to survive. And so much of what we experience religiously, uh-huh. our religion, like the Ordo Salutis, is a survival mechanism. Right. I do this. I don't have to feel that. Right, and at the same time, we see in the scriptures and we see in the mystics, they're they're talking about walking into the pain. The twenty third psalm says, "There's green pastures, there's still waters, but then you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and on the other side of that, you have a cup that runs over." Yeah, and so the idea you have Jesus Himself facing the cross, going, "Hey, uh, if this cup could pass, exactly." Exactly. Right. His, and his ego. That's just, so human. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And his ego is literally going, "Can I get out of this? Can I get out of this? Can yeah. I get out of this?" And, and his, his spirit, spirit says, says "Not mine." Well, you can see him. You think about even if you read the temptation in the desert with Satan, you read it like him battling his own ego. His ego is going, dude, you're the man. You're the man. Angels will catch you. You'll be great. Just turn yeah, that thing, yeah. that thing in stone. He's going, no, no, get behind me, get yeah. behind me, because he's like, I'm here to work. He was doing something deeply internal. He didn't go out there just to deal with Satan. He went out there to deal with his own that own part of him 
that just wants to survive and can't walk into the things that are necessary for him to accomplish. Right. right? And we think about that with us. I mean, how many of us, we were talking about earlier about our sales careers and stuff. Yeah. Think yeah. about how much of that was just pure survival. Yeah. And when you go into this place where you find something that gives you life, like you're doing this podcast and you're doing this and you're going, for some reason, this feels different. It feels like life. It feels like creativity. It feels like something exploding out of my core. Right. And the rest of it feels like something holding it together. But that's caveman. Like a million years ago, caveman wakes up and his only thought is survival. And there's parts of this world. I live in Africa a lot. Spent a lot of time there. People function through ego all the time. Their only way, they can't even lend any attention to things like creativity right. or love or truth. Because they're just waking up going, how do we live? How do we survive today? Yeah. You know, that's why there's so, there's so much pain. And the, and the ego just takes all the repressed pain and all the trauma and feeds on it. It's just like, it's almost like a power source. I know that sounds kind of dramatic. But that's why healing, when we begin to it heal... It is a power source. It is, it, totally. It's a facade. You could put a bunch of effort. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you, but if we understand it as that source, so you understand healing, mm-hmm. the mystics said it's a process of subtraction, not addition. So Meister Eckhart said, right? That if we start to pull out that stuff out of, out of us, the ego starts to go silent. It has no, has no authority anymore. Right. And we start to live through our spirits. We don't need the law anymore. Because the law is this survival mechanism. Yeah. Right? We can start to go, I can live through wisdom. Yes, there goes part one of my talk with Seth Taylor. What if it's true that it is a process of subtraction rather than addition? Um, Less is more. You've heard that term, right? That's actually a term from a Renaissance artist goes back to the 15th century and this man i'm not going to try and pronounce his name but this man would try he he said he would try and create art that would just capture the spirit and the body the physical body and the spirit the soul in the same piece of art that was always his drive as an artist just those two things And he's the reason that we say things like less is more. There's actually a computer language based on that term. There's all that, that term has, has reverberated through history. Um, what about you? Do you feel exhausted by just adding more tools, right? I need to learn the new thing. The next step in my process is is to add things. And here we are in the Christmas season and you start to feel like a Christmas tree with too many ornaments, right? You're just hanging there and your branches are sagging because of all the weight of the stuff. And if that is an attractive idea, all right, that what if it is about subtraction rather than addition um subscribe to the podcast man stay tuned and and check seth out uh mypilgrimage.com is his website he's got some videos up on there um again the book is called feels like redemption part two will be uh, up soon or dot org if you want to check it out. Anyway, it's on the ASI247.org uh, website on the homepage there. And uh, the book, I will have a link to the book in the bookstore section of the ASI podcast. Um, things change when we start, when we choose, when we realize that our life is fluid is flowing and we will arrive at some place in time in the future based on decisions that are made today 
I want to encourage you in that. Again, some of this material may be edgy for some folks, especially Christian types. But uh, next week, uh, part two of our discussion, and uh, we'll go from there. In this uh, interview conversation, I talk about the survey, uh, God and Me. There's actually three surveys on the website, asi247.org. Let's hear from you. I want to hear from you, the listener. Uh, you can go on the website and fill out a survey. That would be awesome. Would love to hear from you. I'll leave you with this uh, bumper music part of the song, not the whole song. It's part of the deal. ASI247.org. Click on the music tab, by the way, if you'd like to purchase the music or check out the band. Links to the band there. Um, it's Christmas. I'm, I'm, I'm catching up on some work on the website, so bear with me on that. But uh, I asked Seth, I said, if your book was a movie, what kind of music would you want to play while the credits were rolling? And he picked this song. It's called Further Along by Josh Garls. Till next time. Big hugs for you this Christmas season. I know it can be tough. Love you guys. I do mean that, my brothers and sisters. Go in peace and faith, all right? Bye. Further along, know all about. Farther along, understand why. So cheer up, my brothers, live in the sunshine. We'll understand this all by and by. Cause he loves them both